The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2. My name is Chess Warren and this is our look at the women's game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. Joining me to look over the action, we have women's football journalist Annie Mills and also joining us, we have FAWSL full-time magazine editor Dan Pentland. Hello to both of you. Thank you very much for coming on. Evening, guys. Hey. Looking back at the Conti Cup in midweek, the most intriguing tie was Spurs hosting Chelsea. Any hopes Spurs had of progressing was dented on 38 minutes when Sam Kerr opened the scoring. Frank Herbie added a second on 68 minutes and Kerr added her second four minutes from time. But former Blue Drew Spence got a consolation in stoppage time, a beautiful goal if you haven't watched that one back. West Ham's captain Dagny Briansdottir scored a late winner against Liverpool to seal her side's place in the Continental League Cup semi-finals. Briansdottir headed in a superb curling ball from Viviane Asai in the 87th minute at Prenton Park. And the other game on Wednesday evening saw Bristol City host Manchester City. It was six of the best for Gareth Taylor's side as they brushed aside the Vixens. On Thursday, Arsenal beat Aston Villa 3-0. Two goals from Frieda Manham had Jonas Idevall's side two goals clear before Caitlin Ford added her third on the hour mark. So we have the semi-finals now. It's going to be Manchester City hosting Arsenal and Chelsea travelling to West Ham. It's going to be two really interesting semi-finals, isn't it, Dan? But doesn't it kind of feel almost a little bit too similar to last year? Yeah, I mean, West, West Ham, I just think Chelsea, when they play those kind of middle-of-the-table teams away from home as well as at home, I just think they lose very, very few of them. I think the the neutral will kind of wave the flag for West Ham because obviously they started the competition in the group stage, whereas the other three didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, Chelsea away are just so strong when they're playing those sides, you know, that there's just a, a golfing class between them, even though West Ham have kind of moved on themselves this year. So I think it's hard to see West Ham winning that game, but it is a London derby and, you know, it'll be under the lights, it'll be a special occasion. I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think City are at Arsenal in the other quarterfinal. Uh, uh, sorry, the other semi-final. Um, but, I mean, that's two good sides. Obviously, City have bounced back from, you know, the early season disappointments and, you know, they're playing well, scoring a lot of goals. Um, you know, at Arsenal, this is probably one of the best, best teams I've ever had, I think. Obviously, evolving week on week under Jonas as well. So, yeah, I think that tie in particular is a real kind of fascinating one. But, um, yeah, I'm going to go for Chelsea in the other one. But, um, you know, you never know West Ham because, you know, they've, they've had a good season so far. I think it's funny you say about Arsenal's uh, side being the best that they've they've had in a long time. I think that's I think that's definitely true um, if they were fit. Um, but they're not. And so I think there's a there's still a chance that Manchester City can kind of pip them there, especially as they are playing at home. But there was an interesting article from Sophie Lawton on ESPN saying that the Conti Cup, albeit it's unique and fun, but realistically, should Arsenal and Chelsea get a free pass into the final eight as they're coming in from the Champions League? Obviously, the reason why that is the case is because of fixture congestion. They don't want them playing too many games, especially as they do kind of like the group stages before it goes into the knockout round. But 
And maybe do you think it's time for those teams that are in the European competitions to drop out of the cup entirely and maybe having it as more of a kind of competitive thing? Because what is it realistically? When was the last time someone who wasn't City, Arsenal or Chelsea won the League Cup? Never, never. Exactly. So um, would it be better, do you think, for the kind of competition as a whole if they weren't they weren't a part of those sides, especially as the kind of traditional fourth place Manchester United hasn't even gotten through to the kind of knockout rounds? Annie, what do you think? Um, I kind of see your point. I think, I, I don't know if the competition would be as interesting if you take Chelsea, Man City and Arsenal out of it. And I also think, like, there's an argument to be had that it brings a lot of traction to the... Um, like the cup games if you have the bigger teams in I also I like watching lower league teams play against your top WSL teams that's part of the fun for me I'd say the same with the men's game I just like watching lower teams play and I think it's good experience for them like it's exciting for them to go to some of the better stadiums like that kind of thing but I do see where you're coming from in terms of making it more competitive it's trying to find the balance between obviously your WSL teams that Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal that are the top playing Champions League, FA Cup, Carabao Cup games week in, week out. Well, obviously that's not feasible. But then is that is that a good enough argument to take them out of the cup games altogether? I'm not sure if I'd agree. What do you think, Dan? I think there's a question for the County Cup as as a whole, really. I think it's a League Cup at the end of the day. Arsenal and Chelsea are in the league, so quite rightly they should be in the competition. But I agree that there's got to be a better solution than coming in at the quarterfinals. Um, I think the probably the whole competition maybe needs a little bit of a kind of spruce up. It's been the same format for a long time. Granted, you know, the European clubs coming in late has only been the last couple of years. Um, but the whole kind of visibility of the tournament and the profile of the tournament as well, you know, I think it'll be good. You know, even in the early stages, getting the, you know, the, some of the lesser clubs out there, you know, maybe a broadcast deal, I don't know, a game a week or from each group stage, you know, round the fixtures on the red button on BBC or something like that. It feels like, you know, the, the whole profile of the competition's got to maybe get a bit of a boost and, you know, maybe the format changes or, you know, the maybe the Super League have to play so many young players or something like that, which might get round the Arsenal and Chelsea issue. Um, but yeah, it, it needs it needs a bit of a facelift, I think. Um, but I mean, look at some of the crowds this year that they've had. There's some clubs which have broke records for for that tournament. So there's clearly the interest there. Um, you know, it's just how we go about things going forward. But it definitely needs to, you know, have a bit of a change. I think. On to the other cup that we have been talking about this weekend. It was the Vitality FA Cup for round fixtures there were some close games involving WSL sides Dan you were at Sunderland seeing them take on Manchester United and we're going to come onto that shortly but there was a shock and it involved Everton who have been having a quite a good season so far but they lost at home to Birmingham City we see and we talk about the golf between the championship and the WSL sides but a lot of the Birmingham squad do have players in there who've previously played in the WSL or at a kind of WSL standard. Um, do you think this kind of maybe came to the forefront in this fixture and that's why we saw see them got the win? I'm scratching my head. I must admit it, Birmingham, because, you know, they'll, they'll go and put on a great performance. They won at Bristol City earlier in the season and, you know, you think what a fantastic result that is. And then they'll go and play somebody else out of the blue, you know, I don't know, a side like Coventry, for example, who, you know, were just building the team at the start of the year and they narrowly kind of got over the finish line. 
Um, you know, the, the song Inconsistent Birmingham, it, it's untrue. I just can't believe they've got real quality players in there, but they just don't deliver week in, week out, which is the problem. Um, I mean, you can probably say that the, today maybe wasn't as unpredictable as you'd think because they seem to raise the game in some of the better games. Um, but, I mean, from Everton's point of view, you know, it, feel, it felt like things are really coming together for them and, you know, that's a bit of a setback today. So I think that there's, there is an awful lot of quality in the Championship. If they get it right on the day, I think, you know, they can, they can certainly give some of the Super League sides um, a real go and credit to Birmingham today. But, you know, if I was an Everton fan, I'd be pretty, you know, disappointed with that, particularly what they've been, you know, based on what they've been showing the last few weeks, which has been really, really positive. Talking about only just only just edging games, though. Uh, Manchester United only managed to beat Sunderland 2-1, thanks to two goals from Nikita Paris. I w- watched the first half, and Dan, as you said, as we said before, you were there in person. And the United team, they looked slow and they looked tired. Do you think that reflected in their performance in person? Um, I thought United played well at times. It's for me, I think what let them down was the finishing. Um, you know, I can't really, other than the goals, I can't really remember the Sunderland goalkeeper making an awful lot of really, really great saves. Um, you know, I think I saw the stats and they had something like 20, 22 shots on goal, you know, yet they're only coming away with two goals and they've needed, you know, what was it, a 69th minute winner or something like that to, to get them through. So, um, you know, some of the players have obviously been in week in, week out, you know, the likes of Mary Earps and, you know, Tooney and some of those players, but there were some of the kind of players who've been used more as substitutes as well. So you'd expect them to be fresh. Um, so, yeah, I think credit to Sunderland, the defending for the lives, um, they're well organised, they give Man United a real good game. Um, I think it's just that sharpness in the final third for me. For Man United, you know, it 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 didn't well. It eventually came right for them today, but you know, you wouldn't want them to be in a similar situation in a in a big Super League game, and you know, not find the answer particularly away from home. On to another WSL side: Spurs beat London City Lionesses, who currently top the Championship as they won 5-0. But the story this week has been Mel Phillips leaving her role as head coach to head back over to the US to become assistant head coach at Angel City. Was this news a bit of a shock? Mel received an absolutely massive outpouring of love from her now ex-players and staff, which is really good to see. But Annie, do you think this is this is kind of a big thing, her heading back, and especially putting London City at a bit of a disadvantage, their manager leaving midweek um, just before a massive FA Cup game, which was the actually the game this weekend that was tipped to be kind of a potential upset, but didn't really go their way? Yeah, I think, like, I'm not surprised she had, like, such a massive uppouring of kind of, like, gratitude when she left. She's done so many, like, wonders for this team. I think I kind of, like, what people were expecting it to happen. I think she made a few comments last season about it being her last as well. Um, So it didn't come as, like, a massive shock. Um, But I think, yeah, like, she's done so much for the team. I, I, like, you can't really say much more about it. I think the fact that they had a big FA Cup game this weekend, she probably could have stayed till like the end of the week, but you, like you never know what was going on behind the scenes. You never know like the reasons why she had to leave when she did. The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Exercise. It doesn't have to mean Lycra or a fancy gym membership. All you need is 10 minutes and you. 
because a regular brisk 10 minute walk is a great way to get more active. Whether that's walking to the shops or getting off the bus to stop early. Picking up the pace and getting your heart pumping can make a real difference to your health. So, to see how much brisk walking you're doing and how you can fit more into your day, download the free Active 10 app. Better health. Let's do this. On to the other, um, the other FA Cup fixtures. It was pretty comfortable for the other WSL teams. Brighton won 7-0 at West Brom. Manchester City won 7-0 at home to Sheffield United. Arsenal won 9-0 at home to Leeds. Um, Leah Williamson um, swapped shirts with one of the Leeds players. Go check out that video. It's very sweet. It's on the Barclays um, FA WSL Instagram. Interestingly as well, Dan, though, there was a tight game between Wolves and West Ham. It took two late goals to see the Hammers go through there. Do you think this was a bit of a worrying one for West Ham or it was just the case of it wasn't clicking on the day? Um, I mean, I watched Wolves in the National League playoff last year and I thought, you know, maybe the, you know, on the day they played Southampton, I think they lost 1-0. Um, and I thought, you know, in terms of the layout of the team, I thought they were very solid and, you know, they were well-organised, well-drilled. They kind of knew each other's jobs. Um, I think they've done very well in the National League again this year and I think they might be up there pushing for promotion. So, um, you know, I think it's a football club going in the right direction. I think they want to hopefully get in the Championship. I don't know if they've got ambitions of getting in the Super League. Um, Obviously at home as well. So, you know, it, it was a difficult tie for West Ham, but... You know, I suppose you can look from their point of view. They've got through it. They're in the hat for the next round. They'll, I'm no doubt, hope for a home draw, I'm guessing. But, um, yeah, credit to Wolves. It was their big day. I don't think they've done themselves any kind of, um, you know, they, they can only get credit for that performance. And, um, you know, I'm sure they'll have a great second half of the season and, and really push hard to get into the elite game. Villa put double figures past Fylde at home in the late kickoff. Rachel Daly scoring four, which could have been five, um, but she did miss a pen and I think it was like the 13th minute. Um, we had Coventry United manager Lee Birch on last week and his Coventry United side beat Hashtag United to stop goal-scoring feet of Sammy Rowland, who is the current leading scorer in the competition. Rachel Daly will have something to say about that now, I'm sure. Annie, it was really good in particular to see the WSL sides put out really strong sides against these kind of lower and national league teams. You kind of see that gap closing a little bit, even though obviously they have been more dominant. Um, Manchester United, for example, kind of put out, apart from Russo being on the bench, like what you would expect them to then to send out in a regular WSL fixture. It's, it must be positive. Yeah, I mean, in a in an ideal world, I think you would like put out your strongest teams for all um, cup matches. But I like obviously when you've got, for example, teams in the WSL maybe towards the bottom battling off relegation, you're going to want to save your teams for those type of games. Same with Chelsea, City, Arsenal. It's a bit different this season, but like when you've got one or two points between them and you've got big games coming up in the WSL then they tend to, like, bench players. I think Emma Hayes had done that a few times with Chelsea. But, like, ideally, you would always put out your strongest team. I think, like I mentioned before, it it kind of, like, builds up the competition more in terms of you get to see your strongest WSL teams playing your strongest championship teams or any other league teams, and it kind of makes it a little bit more exciting. And I think, as well, it's become kind of a respect thing because it's a chance for the lower league teams to play against the best players in their teams rather than playing against their second teams so I'm all for it I think it's great obviously I know that it can't always happen because of priorities like I said about relegation towards the end of the season also tends to be the same but 
yeah, I think generally you should be putting out your strongest teams for things like this. And it's also about being able to have that rotation because I think Chelsea, although they can bench what you would call their strongest team, have such a have such good uh, players on the bench <laughs> that they're able to put out squads that are, yeah. that would absolutely blow other WSL teams out of the water. But on to transfer news, though. Manchester City midfielder Ruby Mace has joined Leicester City on loan for the rest of the season. The 19-year-old becomes the Fox's fifth new arrival of the January transfer window. This is a really big transfer coming over to kind of see Leicester try and beat the drop. Annie, do you think Ruby will be able to make a difference and sure up that defence that has kind of been leaky at times at Leicester yeah definitely I think it's something that Leicester have been targeting for quite a while like you said they've been leaky at best I'd say I think she is the type of player that like can sit deep but also like drive the ball forward I think she offers a lot of what Leicester's missing in that kind of respect I think she's a great signing like you said probably one of the best this window for them over to the red side of Manchester, they've signed Norway midfielder Lisa Nelson on a contract until the end of the 2025-26 season. It's also really good that we're seeing these longer contracts now in the game. Nelson arrives at United after four seasons at Norwegian side SK Braun, where she won two league titles. After representing her country through the age groups, she's made her senior Norway debut against Sweden in June of 2021 and has nine caps. She said that it's great to come to a club that has everything to play for this season. Now, this signing is the latest for United, who are currently top of the Women's Super League. This signing is the latest for United, who are currently top of the Women's Super League after they added Estelle Cascarino and Jade Riviera to their ranks last week. Manager Mark Skinner said Nelson will bring a wealth of top-level experience to the club. Do you think this is going to be kind of a strong signing for the club or she's been signed for so long or do you think that she's going to fall down in places that they kind of do at Manchester United players like Bo Arisa who are very strong coming into kind of that midfield position but really struggling to get minutes because of the kind of dominance of Katie Zellum and kind of Hayley Ladd and other players in those positions Dan what do you think? I think it's going to be tough Um, I think as you say there's a lot of competition in that area I think United are gonna fans are probably gonna have to be patient because I don't think Riviera or Nelson are gonna be available for at least until the middle of March, I don't think. So the you know, they're probably long term signings, possibly signings for next season. I know there's a question over there, is Riviera coming to replace on a batcher? I don't know. Um again, what you know, why is Nelson coming? Um we got a glimpse of Estel Cascarino today and I thought and I said to Mark after the game, she looks like an absolute kind of monster. When she came on, she's she's a real kind of brute, um, a character. Um, so she's going to kind of add, you know, I'm not saying she's going to start every game, but I think she adds another dimension to what United have got. I think she's a clever player. I think Mark said it was another left footer, which they're short of um, in the team. Um, and yeah, she's, she's going to be a personality. I think the fans might quite like her. But yeah, the other two, Obviously, they're not ready. They're going to be at least six weeks, I think. So um, I think it's a wait and see what the roles are going to be and you know how much they're going to play this season as well. On to wider afield in the WSL, Anouk Denton, the 19-year-old England youngster, has signed for West Ham from her college team in the St. Louis Cardinals. 
And this was a little one that kind of got Twitter ticking off last night. Women's Super League champions Chelsea are trying to sign Republic of Ireland international Katie McCabe, who can play as a winger and a fullback from Arsenal, having already had an offer from the 27-year-old rejected. Annie, that's a very interesting signing and a massive blow for Arsenal, whether she goes or not. How cheeky of that is Emma Hayes to put that in? I think Jonas Eideval has said explicitly that she's not going to Chelsea in a post-match today, um, but it's still kind of putting a bit of a spanner in the works. But do you think this also kind of confirms that Harder and Ericsson are probably going to leave at the end of this season because it seems to be the two positions that they also have been kind of taking up for Chelsea this year. I personally don't still see Penel Harder or Magdalene Ericsson leaving in the summer. I, I mean, it depends what happens in the Champions League for Chelsea. I think if we get there or thereabouts and win the Champions League, I reckon they just want to build on that foundation. I can't see them leaving after that. Um, so I don't actually think that it's got much to do with them potentially leaving in the summer. I don't think she's going to leave. Um, I don't think Katie's going to leave Arsenal. I can't see that happening. I mean, she's got is it 18 months left on a contract. I think she'll stay, maybe leave this time next year in the next January transfer window. I don't think Jonas is going to let her go to Chelsea, especially since Arsenal and Chelsea are occupying the top two positions, top three positions in the WSL this season and generally tend to be. I think the deal was like they'd asked for 250k as well. Um, I, I can't I can't see Chelsea paying that much when we've got so many players in that position that are so talented and Hayes can bring off the bench. But then saying that, we've obviously got some money freed up from Bethany England. Um, so maybe, but I don't see um, Katie McCabe coming to Chelsea. I I don't think, I think if she was going to leave Arsenal, then she'd be looking for a top one, two team in the WSL. But again, I don't think it's something she's got to worry about yet. Maybe not until next January. Um, but I think Emma Hayes will be keeping an eye on it. And I think as well, was it... Um, Grace Gayoro, she was wanting to sign. Um, I think that is going to be our main target in the summer transfer window. So then, again, it depends on what happens with that deal. I think that's something that Emma Hayes has been pushing for over Kate Mahay, potentially. I think what's kind of most interesting um, from this is that realistically, if McCabe wants to get trophies, is Arsenal the best place for her? Probably not. They're now trophyless in is it is coming up to four seasons. That's not for a team that that is always in the spotlight as seen as one of the best. That's incredibly poor. I think it's one of the longest trophy droughts Arsenal has been on in its history. In in that since they've kind of have their revamped um women's team in the nineties, and so it's like a a really negative thing to look at. I wouldn't be surprised if they leave, and I think it's incredibly bold of Emma Hayes to be able to say okay uh, to po- to want to poach players from the other kind of top team because realistically they can they can set it's like turning around and going whatever talent that you have we can have them come to us because they would much rather play for us and win things than play for you and I think that's why it's so bold and so clever. Dan, have you heard anything on the grapevine? that you want to kind of spill on here. <laughs> Any dastardly rumours in the last couple of days? I always appreciate them if you want if you want to let us know. I'm saying nothing, but no, to be fair, I'm not the uh, I'm not the man in the know. But um no, I think I mean what we got a couple of days left. Um there'll always be a late one. Uh 
maybe keep your eyes on Villa. You know what Carla Ward's like. I'm sure she'll get somebody through the airport a few hours before. Um, yeah, definitely. Arsenal, maybe. I know they've obviously got, was it Chloe Lacaster after, and I think they've stumbled over, you know, a fee, I think, because um, I don't think Benfica want to let her go. So that might be one, or they might look for an alternative, you know, last minute. So, yeah, we might not have seen all the transfers yet, but um, I think most clubs are there or thereabouts. Tash Flint to Celtic as well seems to be another one that might be, you know, last minute. So we'll see. Yeah, bless Arsenal. They desperately need a, a striker to um to save them, I think, this season after obviously the massive injuries that uh Mead Amar and Mead have um have struggled with and are out with for for a long time. Villa as well, you mentioned there we were saying off air how strong their team is getting and how exciting it is. I think they need a big old staunch centre back once they have one of those in kind of a defensive line. Cause I always not and this isn't this isn't to the detriment of um of Aston Villa's backline, I just think they're a little bit less experienced, and so they have such a strong, like midfield and striking kind of uh, setup now that they need that kind of backline to to um, to weigh up. Because I always I always compare them to um, a guy who goes to the gym, does arm day and never leg day, looks like an upside down triangle when it comes to the the kind of quality they have they have at that side. And I think if they want to be competing with the top, um, they need to kind of shore that up. Whether that happens this window or later on. You don't want to walk before you can run. I think that that's two different things. But in other news, over in Spain, Barcelona broke a record by securing 50 consecutive league wins, a feat that has never been been completed in all of football. Um, so they, they now hold the record for that, which is absolutely incredible. And it, the team is making history, but it's brilliant that we're seeing a world record now. Realistically, do you think they are ever going to be able to be stopped in... Um, La Liga F or is it just the Champions League that they're going for? They're just they're just what I I I think they're one of the best teams and if not the best team in the world at the moment. I think they play a very dominant style of passing football and it's fast paced. I think even if you look at the individual statistics, they're laughably good as well. You've got Martins, Oshayala, is it? Um Alexia Patelis, they're like your top goal scorers in their league. I think between them they had like I think I read somewhere that they had like 40, 50 goals between them, which is more than any other goals scored by any other team league, just between your three top goal scorers in that team. I think as well, aside from talent, over the last year and a half, they've shown quality and domination of other teams on other levels in terms of like their personality and their drive. I think not long ago, like the women's Spanish national team had that player mutiny to expose deeper issues. And I think the type of women that you have in the Spanish National League, you've also got them, like, emerging in, like, Barcelona as well. Like, you've got your big, strong personalities that are embedded into the team. Patelis as well is probably one of, if not the role model for young girls wanting to be in football. And I do think the big personalities like that are, like, what give them the edge at the moment, aside from the fact that they've got ridiculously good players just at the forefront. And like you said about Chelsea, I feel the same about Barcelona. Like, their first, second, third teams, you could put out their probably third best team and it would still be miles above a lot of the teams, any other team, really, actually. I think Champions League is the next one for them or the biggest one for them because I think in terms of the league, they're like... Is it eight points ahead with a few games in hand? I can't see anybody stopping them there. I think, is it Real Madrid is like their biggest kind of rival and they're miles ahead of them at the moment. So, no, I don't see anyone stopping them in their league. 
And just to kind of round off the pod here, it was uncovered this week that Steph Horton is the leading figure to take over as chair of the PFA, which is the union for current and former professional footballers. Familiar face Dan Carter is also on the board amongst other leading names of the game. Horton is currently 34 years old and has not retired from international football and is still playing for Manchester City. Dan, do you think this role will be too much with her current responsibilities or is this something a player can balance? It'd be a great step in the right direction to see a player like Steph, though, going into kind of um, this role as well. She really does seem like a uh, like a strong leader kind of behind the scenes. Yeah, I think we've had this situation in the men's game as well. I seem to remember Clark Carlisle was the PFA kind of, kind of similar role in the men's game and I'm sure he was still playing at the time, I think. There's a guy called Richie Humphreys as well, who I think was doing the same sort of thing. So I don't think it's unusual for a player at the latter end of the career to be kind of combining roles. Um, so I think Steph can probably manage that. Um, obviously, you know, sadly, she hasn't got the international commitments neither at the minute, which might free up a little bit of time. Um, but I think she's had a fantastic career. She's obviously seen the growth of the game throughout a number of years. She's worked it with, you know, range of players, different nationalities, um, you know, national team level um, as well. Um, so, yeah, I think like her wealth of experience and understanding of the other players, obviously she's got the respect as well of, you know, the whole of the women's game. So, you know, I, I think she, she'll be a great appointment. I think she'll do a great job um, and she'll be a, a welcome addition to the role, I think. And that is all from this week. Thank you very much, Annie and Dan. Don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram. It's at the Women's Football Podcast. Have a great week, everyone. (laughs) 